Before I open uh, God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have this morning to come before you and to open your scriptures and to read those and to study those and to hear from you how you'd like us to think about you more, to uh, understand who you are more, what you've done for us more, the way that you operate in our world and in and through us. And Lord, that uh, there'll be a challenge there today that Lord, we wouldn't leave here uh, the same as when we walked in, but Lord, through an interaction with your spirit and your word, that Lord, our hearts would be changed and that our lives would become more aligned with your will for us here in this place. And so we praise you this morning. We bless you this morning and ask that you speak to us now, I pray. Have you ever come across anything that you have thought was real but then discovered that it was a fake? Has that been your experience? Anyone ever come across something like that? You know, there are countless stories and movies made about all these sorts of forgeries and elaborate hoaxes. Kelly and I watched one this week, Ocean's 8. Um, you know, it's an interesting movie of all these lovely ladies who go out and, you know, 3D diamond print some fancy necklace and switch it out for the real one and all this sort of stuff, you know, this, as the movies do. But, you know, there's countless stories of these in our culture of where people have... Have, have seen the real thing, but then there has been a fake come through and uh, you, you sort of feel a bit ripped off or, you know, if you're on the other end of it. And, and, in, and this doesn't just happen in the movies because this happens in real life. A recent example would be a, uh, a Brett Whiteley painting that was brought by the president of the, uh, the Sydney Swans, Andrew Pridham, that turned out to be a fake and he um, only dropped two and a half million on it. So, um, you know, that's, that's fine. Isn't it? You know, art forgeries, you know, very expensive uh, game. Uh, the other side of that, you know, is the, the cheap game. When I was in China in 2005, I, I bought these lovely name brand T-shirts and everything that were, you know, all the, all the, the genuine articles really, you know, weren't they? Yeah, for f- six for 20 bucks. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely those, those name brands. And like I went and bought Kelly some handbags, you know, Gucci and Prada and, you know, they're really top quality because they've still got them now. Don't you know, they all died? No. Yeah, exactly. They're only five bucks, so that doesn't matter. Um, but we, we do this all the time. We, we come across the genuine article and we come across things that are fake. I mean, and don't even get me started on scams. The amount of people that have been scammed out of millions of dollars. You know, there's always these alerts coming through. Never click on emails. Never respond to text messages that say you've won money if you haven't entered something. Even if you have, you know, they'll get in contact with you in person, no doubt, anyway. But, uh, you know, there's, 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 there's always fakes that we, we come across. I also bought a watch when I was in Hong Kong once. And um, it was fantastic for the time I was there. And it was sort of like as soon as I got on the plane, it stopped working. I couldn't even go back. You know, we come across these things all the time. And when we encounter something that's fake, something that's not the real thing, we're often left empty and regretful. There's often this, this sense of regret, this, this feeling of betrayal, this sense of violation that we've not received the genuine item. We've not received what was promised to us. Now, it's a little bit different to when you go to a market and you know they're fake, right? You don't expect them to actually be any good. But how many times do we not 
have that expectation. We actually have an expectation of we get the general thing and get ripped off. Today as we look at Acts chapter 19, we're going to see people having genuine encounters with the truth of the gospel and we're also going to see some fakes. And the challenge for us today is to seek that which is genuine and not be distracted or led astray by the fakes. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 19. We were in 18 last week, this week we're in 19 and guess where we'll be next week? We'll start in 20 and see how we go. So uh, Acts chapter 19 verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then by what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. Where I want to start at this morning, and where he wants to understand this principle today, is that repentance is the starting place for the work of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is the starting place for the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a repentance from sin. And that's what these guys had done. And so it shows that these men, they understood the truth and they understood where the gospel starts. They were sinners in need of a saviour. They understood that. And not only that, but they'd actually taken steps of repenting before God of their sins. Repentance is the fertile field for the gospel to lay a firm foundation for healthy ministry. Repentance is a fertile field for the gospel to lay a firm foundation for healthy ministry. And so Paul teaches these men about Jesus. They are baptized in the name of Jesus. Paul lays his hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. These 12 men, they were searching for answers and Jesus stepped into their circumstances and saved them. He gave them the answers. He provided them for them. They were searching for the saviour that they knew that they needed. They encountered Jesus. They respond in faith and obedience, are baptised and receive the Holy Spirit and become disciples. That's the work that Paul set out from the start to do. That's continually what is set out. Introduce people to Jesus and they're saved. Like, isn't that a wonderful ministry? Like, it's great, isn't it? It's, and, and, and it, you know, it's so hard, isn't it? It's so difficult. Introduce people to Jesus, let him do all the work. <laughs> it's lovely. You know, I think we could probably learn something from that. I don't know. So just just a, a thought occurred. Acts 19, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I mean, you've really got to commend Paul here. He really deserves commendation, doesn't he? Because he is stubborn and persistent and certainly consistent. You know, yet again we see, and how many times we've seen it before, yet again we see he spends three whole months in the synagogues trying to convince the Jews about the truth of Jesus, 
But again, the Jews rejected the gospel. They rejected it. You know, there will always be opposition to the gospel where it is faithfully preached. We have come across this time and time and time again in Acts. And not only that, but these Jews, they spoke evil of Christianity. They were stubborn and obstinate, and so Paul leaves them. He takes the 12 disciples that he had just met earlier with him and again focuses on preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And he does this, the passage tells us, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So, what was or what is this lecture hall of Tyrannus? Well, this was kind of like a school. And so these apparently are the remnants of this lecture hall in Ephesus. Um, and uh, it's an interesting picture because it doesn't show you much, it just shows you rocks on the ground. But that was apparently the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So you can see the size of it though, a bit of scale, it's quite large. Um, it most likely would have had a roof and so would have been this, this centre of learning, I guess you could say like a university. And so lectures would be given in the morning from sun up until about 11am before the sun got too hot. You know, the, the most productive hours of the day, the students would be there learning. And then it would be available for people to give lectures from 11am until about 4pm whilst in the heat of the day. And so uh, people generally took a break from work during the hot sun of the afternoon. And Paul was likely applying his trade as a tent maker in the morning and then preaching the hall of Tyrannus in the afternoons while people were taking their siestas and trying to stay out of the heat. And so what better place to stay out of the heat than this nice big shaded area, obviously probably with breezes through, would have been lovely in the Mediterranean climate um, to head there. And while you're there in the afternoon having your lunch, having a sleep, here's Paul preaching the gospel for two years. No wonder it says all the people of the region heard the gospel in that two-year period. That's what he was doing. He was preaching faithfully day after day after day. And so Paul seems to be following a pattern here. First preach to the Jews, get rejected, um, and then find a large home to continue preaching in, such as Lydia's home in Philippi or Jason's home in Thessalonica. In Athens he used the marketplace and the Arapagus. In Corinth he used the house of justice. And so here he probably rents the hall of Tyrannus when it's not being used for classes. He's consistent, isn't he? He finds somewhere where large groups of people can gather to hear the message of proclaimed of the gospel. And so this gave him the space to preach and a space that could accommodate many people and so it helped him reach everyone in the region. And Paul stayed there for over two years to accomplish this. And God, we see, greatly blessed his ministry and the Spirit was powerfully working through Paul during this time. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left him. I can just imagine Paul blowing his nose, right, making that tissue dance, put a little boogie in it, and then that going and being used to cast out evil spirits and to heal people. Like, you know, talk about weird, right? But that's what it says, handkerchiefs and aprons. So, you know, if he's cooking, you know, on the grill, turn the snags, you know, his apron, they'd take that. Like, and it's amazing, isn't it? Like, anyone want my jumper? It's a really nice jumper, actually, isn't it? Kelly, Kelly bought it for me this week. So, yeah, that's, that's quite nice. 
it, it's very snuggly actually, um, quite warm. <laughs> so what we've seen previously in the book of Acts, miracles open the door for the gospel to be heard and gives great confirmation that indeed God himself was working through Paul and his message of the gospel. So much so that the Holy Spirit appears to have manifested his powerful presence so strongly through Paul that the Spirit's presence remained evident in connection with objects that Paul touched. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? That God's physical manifestation, the presence of the Spirit was so powerful that even fabrics took on the very essence of God's Spirit. I find that amazing because it highlights that where God is at work in power, first of all, it draws attention. I mean, it says here that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. When extraordinary miracles happen, it draws attention, doesn't it? And also, it attracts people. People were actually taking these garments that had touched Paul and and taking them to their friends and to their family who were sick or who who were demon-possessed. And they were taking these things, hoping that they would be saved. And they were delivered from their illness and from the spirits. This is amazing. It draws attention. It attracts people. People are being healed, illnesses cured, evil spirits leaving. And people observe and see what's going on. They take a look. And verse 13, we read, Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And so what we actually have are, are, are extensive records of uh, these, these ceremonies and spoken formulas that Jewish people in the first century used to try to free themselves from the influence of evil spirits. But it's unlikely that these were very effective because we see um, that people were astounded when Jesus was able to cast out demons with authority and power, as we're reading Luke chapter 4, verse 36. And so a few years later, there are still these Jewish itinerant exorcists going around, and they'd often do this for a fee, and they see what is going on with Paul and his ministry, and they hear and they see and they see what he says, hear what he does, see what, they, what he does, and they want a piece of this action, right? They want in. They want their, their slice of the pie. And so what we see, not only that, where God is at work powerfully, it draws attention, it attracts people, but also people want to be a part of that blessing. And we've seen that in our lives too, haven't we? Remember a few years ago, there was this thing happening in Toronto that some people got super excited about, like gold dust and stuff. Like that to me is just a little bit like unique. I'll use the word unique. But I, I was even talking to somebody a few weeks ago who told me about their travel to Toronto at that time. Like they went from a different country, the opposite end of the world, because they heard that God was at work. God's at work here too. You don't have to travel to Toronto to be involved in some gold dust stuff to powerfully experience God's presence and his work and his outpouring of his spirit, right? It happens in and through each one of us regularly. So these people, they want to be a part of the blessing and they want to be able to be as effective as Paul is and so they just rip him off. And mentioned here are seven particular people who are doing this. The sons of Sceva, 
Verse 14. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. So, this Jewish chief priest thing, all right, we understand that a Jewish chief priest was someone who was in charge of the synagogue, right? They were sort of the pinnacle. They were, if you look back through your Old Testament stuff, they were the ones that could go into the temple, into the holies of holies, once a year would offer all the sacrifices, do all that sort of stuff. You know, and then they had all these other priests. And most often you would find that the sons of a chief priest would then take over from their dad. So that's how it's the succession planning worked because they're all from the one tribe and so that tribe were the, was the priestly tribe and so they were the, these seven sons of Sceva, they were the next generation of leaders for the Jewish people and they were involved in this itinerant ministry going around trying to cast out demons and they were failing at it. And what they did, that what they did was that they saw what Paul was doing, they saw the name in which he was casting out these demons and so they wanted a piece of the action. And so they, they, they mimic what Paul is doing. They rip him off. And it says here, One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? Who are you? Where's your authority? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So these seven sons of Sceva saw God at work in power through Paul and they knew the name by which that powerful work was being done and so they invoked that name to try and cast out demons as well. But they, what they were, they were a cheap imitation. They were not genuine. It was not genuine faith. So not only was the name of Jesus important in casting out evil spirits, but so was true faith in Jesus on the part of the one uttering his name. And so here you actually see a reverse exorcism take place. It's hilarious. The demon drives out the exorcists. It's like, hey guys, you came here to do this. Uh, 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 back at ya. Can you imagine this scene, right? So these seven blokes, you know, the upcoming leaders of the next generation, they take this man aside into this room. They try to cast out the demon. The demon says, uh, uh, uh. The demon then, through this bloke that he's possessing, beats these guys up so that they're bleeding. Not only that, but he completely humiliates and rips off all their clothes and so further humiliates them by not only beating them up. I mean, how, how humiliating is it in our culture if we're beat up, right? But then even more humiliating, if your clothes are stripped off you and you have to run out naked, that's what happened to these guys. And don't talk about shame and nakedness in that culture. Just you know, That's even worse than today, obviously. And so they've beaten this guy, these seven guys, up. One, one against seven, one against seven, and he's, they're left humiliated. He goes nuts. He gives them the beating. They run out bleeding and humiliated. You see... These seven sons of Sceva, their faith was not genuine and their motivation was not pure. They wanted to be successful in their exorcisms and they saw Paul and how successful he was at it and so stole his words but not his heart. They stole from him the program but not the foundation laid by the gospel and the call of God. And for us, there is often a draw for us to imitate the successful church 
down the road there, the successful church in that city there, the successful church that we've been a part of in the past. And we try and transplant the things that we liked about a previous church we attended or somewhere else that we've seen. We try and transplant that here because we think, hey, we can do good too. This worked really well. Maybe we should try it. Now, I'm sure that there's things that we can improve on that, you know, would be helpful for us all, that we've all had in our experiences in the past and that we've seen elsewhere. And I'm sure there's things that we can probably improve on how we do stuff here. We're not perfect. No one ever is. And I'm sure that, you know, our motivations are all from a good place, a good heart. And and I do believe God has given those experiences to us for a reason. But as a church, as Wayne Grana Baptist Church, we are not called to simply imitate the church down the road. We shouldn't just see what they're doing and just copy that here because they were successful. We need to be genuine in what we are doing for this church, for this moment in time, for this city, for this generation and the next. So how God is moving and working in that church and that community doesn't mean we can just copy their program, their style or their strategy and expect we'll be successful here. So it's important that we understand that vision comes from God and it comes from God to his people and it comes to his people for us, for now, for here. So vision leads to a genuine expression of ministry for us, for now, for here. It is not a fake, cheap imitation like the sons of Sceva that we're looking for. We want the genuine article, right? We don't want a fake. We don't want the words and implant the stuff from anyone else here. We want the genuine article. And you know what? The genuine, authentic, God-given expressions of gospel ministry have an astounding impact on that place. Verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread wider and grew in power. So a supernatural encounter with the truth brings a fear of the Lord and enthusiastic praise of Jesus. The MRV translation of this verse is so weak. It is so weak. The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. What what picture does that give you? Um, I don't know. It's weak. It's wishy-washy. It doesn't connect with me. Does it connect with you? The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. No. And, and I'll tell you why it doesn't connect with you. Because they've done a bad job of translating. They actually have. See, the, the, their choice of words gives a picture of a very reverent, solemn, almost reflective moment. Yet the Greek words are very much stronger and much bolder. The Greek word that they've squeezed to say held in high honour is the Greek word megalino or megalino. Um, megalino, which literally means to amplify, to enlarge, to manifest to an extraordinary degree, to exalt, to magnify or to extol. Now the ESV chooses the word extol, which means enthusiastic praise. How much better does this verse read when it says the Lord Jesus was praised enthusiastically? That, that, that's, that's the essence here. 
And so, a supernatural encounter with the truth, yes, first of all, brings a fear of the Lord and awe of his presence, power and work, and enthusiastic praise of Jesus. That's what happens when you have an authentic encounter with God's power and with the truth. As we've seen in verse 18 and 20, it also brings repentance and transformation. You see, in the Greco-Roman world, they put great stock in magical incarnations and spells, often collecting them into books that sold for large sums of money. And when these people in Ephesus had a genuine personal encounter with Jesus and were in awe of the Lord and praised Jesus with enthusiasm, they responded in repentance and as an act of repentance and praise of Jesus, they brought these relics of their pagan past and held a massive book burning. These relics were highly valuable, highly sought after books. And we're given their value in the form of 50,000 drachmas. And you might also consider a drachma to be a piece of silver. They're the same thing. So what's a drachma? Is it a dollar? No. A drachma is what you'd receive for an honest day's wage. So a drachma is a day's wage. So if we put on our thinking caps, let's do some math. Today in Australia right now, the minimum wage is $19.49 an hour. So a day's wage of eight hours is $155.92. So doing some simple maths, in today's numbers, 50,000 times the minimum daily wage of $155.92 works out to be, Russell, (laughs) $7,796,000. That is one expensive bonfire, right? You know, and such is the impact of the gospel that it completely transformed their lives and transformed their values. See, now, the, the rationalist within me goes, oh, hold on, we could make nearly $8 million if we sold them. How good would that be for the kingdom of God? Have $8 million, 50,000 days wages. Oh, imagine what we could do for the kingdom with $8 million bucks. Imagine just the interest off that. That would be great in the 80s. We, we sort of think of that now, do, don't, don't we? But these people saw these as relics of their past. They didn't see any value in them any longer. They were worthless because of an encounter with Jesus. They responded to the truth and they responded in faith and obedience and they repented of their past and part of that was to burn the things that they once held dear in light of the gospel of grace. That's a powerful statement right there, isn't it? When was the last time you saw someone burn 8 million bucks because of something they believed in? Don't mention New Year's Eve fireworks. Such is the impact of the gospel that it completely transformed their lives and transformed their values. Talk about a genuine encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings transformation and transforms lives that brings repentance. See, these people lived it to the tune of nearly 8 million bucks. And it says in verse 20, In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. An $8 million bonfire would do that. In chapter 19, it ends with the idol makers inciting a mob 
and just about causes a riot because their trade and livelihood was being threatened by the gospel because so many people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ and being transformed by the gospel that Christianity was taking away a great number of their customers. They wanted to stamp out Christianity because it was impacting their profits. Sound familiar? Where the gospel is faithfully preached, there will always be opposition. This time it's economic because they could no longer sell as much stuff. You see, in Ephesus, there was a very, very healthy number of temples and daily worship rituals that people would would do. And so everyone, being in a very pagan culture, would go along to these people who were making these these idols, these images, they would buy them and then they'd then sacrifice them to their gods in those temples. In the, There was a few of them. If you read about Ephesus in the first century, you'll go, oh my goodness, Ugh. I didn't want to put in the message. But anyway, that's what was happening. And so half the people just about were coming to faith in Christ. We see that time and time again throughout Acts as, it, as the gospel spreads. You know, the number of people just grows and grows and grows. So imagine half your clientele no longer buy something from you every day to sacrifice to their God. They now actually are burning stuff that you might be trading in and that is having a massive impact. And so this mob is incited to try and stamp out Christianity. But the power of the gospel is such that it transforms lives and transforms people's values and what is important, what they hold dear, because the gospel gives them hope. They no longer need these trinkets because they've got hope in Christ. They no longer need these relics because their hope is in the Lord. And so it transforms even their whole entire value base and their own personal economics. And in the coming weeks, as we start our vision journey, we'll be starting with a discussion about our values as a church. What is it that we hold dear? We'll be holding a couple of meetings with an open invitation to the whole congregation to attend so that we can pray together, so that we can seek God's guidance and direction and so that we can hear from each person and give everyone an opportunity to have input into this process and come to a consensus together about what our values are as a church that will provide the foundation for a fruitful ministry for years to come. That's our values discussion. Those values are what will underpin our mission and our vision going forward. They'll be the foundation upon what we build our ministry here at Rangarabad Baptist Church on. And so keep an eye out for dates that will be coming up and we'll have daytime meetings so that people can attend. And if you're not available on the day, we'll have evening meetings because we want to make it accessible to everyone and give as much opportunity to everyone as possible to be involved in this. We're also going to be holding a few days of fasting, prayer and fasting. And so what we'll do on these days of prayer and fasting is that I'll, I'll invite everyone to participate to pray and to fast for this day and then we'll all come together of an evening and break our fast together and we'll, we'll have a time of prayer and of worship and of celebration of the Lord at those opportunities too. And I'm really excited and, and I'm really looking forward to hearing from God the focus that he desires for us as a family to have in our ministry going forward. And I hope and pray you'll join us for these moments in time and set aside this time to invest in hearing from God together. And some people would have also received an invitation to join our guiding team and that will help us lead us through this process. And so if you haven't received your invitation, there are some letters out in the foyer um, it's a sort of a, a rep- representative snapshot of all different people. Don't be offended if you're not invited. 
don't be offended if you are invited. Um, but it's one of those things we just sort of didn't want. I would love to invite everyone to be on, on the team, but it's not practical. And so I want to sort of give us the opportunity to be involved in this process and uh, please prayerfully consider your involvement and making commitment to either the guiding team or to coming to all the congregational beings so that you can have your, your part to play in this process because we do as a Baptist church believe in the priesthood of all believers. God just doesn't speak to me and then through me to you, right? God speaks to us all. And so it's an opportunity for us to all hear from God and to all participate in this process because we want to develop a genuine expression of what we believe God wants for us as a church going forward. We don't just want to copy the church down the road and be a fake. We want to be a genuine family of faith that expresses that faith and hope that we have in the gospel practically in what ways and and areas that that impacts and reaches our community here in the northeast. And so what we'll be doing as a church is is that, that exact thing. We'll be seeking the Lord and how he wants us to, to be active going forward. And so that's how we will be activating this word from Acts today, as we've listened to what God is teaching us through these passages today. The genuine expression of faith that transforms lives. What are our values? How are they going to impact what we do going forward? But on a personal note, as I was um, writing this message, and as I was reading through this passage i was really convicted of areas of my life where i've been faking it where maybe my personal values haven't matched my stated values or that what i've been doing hasn't necessarily matched up with what i want to do you know the apostle paul has said you know i i I don't want to sin but yet i keep on sinning you know "I, i want to have pure motivations yet i don't always have them and so for me personally there's a real real gut check, a real moment in time this week as I was writing and, and, and going through this was like, am I being genuine in all of my life in response to what God's word is saying to me? And so I think that sometimes it's, it's something we need to do regularly is to, to come bef- on our knees before the Lord and repent of those areas where we have fallen, we have, you know, not being the person that we know God's calling us to be, we've not done the things that God wants us to do, where we have indeed been sinners. And I don't shy away from that because I don't know about you, but if if you think that your pastor is sinless, well, I'm really sorry to burst that bubble for you because I'm not. I'm human, I'm imperfect, but I serve a perfect saviour. You know? And so there will be times where all of us, we know we fail. But yet, there's always that genuine heart that wants to serve the Lord Jesus. I would love if I could go through life without sin, but I'm not there yet. But that's what I would love to do. And so I want to encourage that heart within each one of us that we take a look at ourselves before the truth of the gospel and ask the Lord Jesus to highlight an area or an issue in our lives where we might be faking it and to repent of that and then seek to be genuine rather than fake. And so this morning I want to pray for us all that we would be real with ourselves and be real with those around us, that we'd be brave enough to drop the facade and instead be genuine in our faith, genuine in our identity and genuine in our expression of our faith in Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We acknowledge that, Lord, indeed we are sinners in need of a Saviour. And, Lord, we understand that repentance 
is the starting place for the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we saw that with those 12 disciples that didn't even know about Jesus, yet had obeyed and had repented in the baptism of John. But Lord, they then saw the goodness of Jesus and were baptised in the new life that we have in Christ. And so Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity daily to come before you, to come before the truth of your gospel and Lord, to repent of areas in our life where Lord, we fall short and where we are not genuine. Areas where we put up this facade of we've got it all together, we know what we're doing, we're fine, but Lord, deep down inside we know we're struggling. And Lord, I pray that Lord, you would Help us in those moments of temptation with sin to overcome those. That, Lord, you would guide us in moments uh, of, of strife, in moments of turmoil. That, Lord, we would be able to make the choices that fully reflect our desire to serve you and honour you with all of who we are. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be present in our decision-making processes every moment of the day and that we would glorify you in the decisions that we make every moment and that Lord indeed we would be genuine in our faith, genuine in our identity, genuine in our expressions of faith in you. So please be present with us in that I pray. Please also bless our time later today with our AGM and uh, Lord we pray you'll be glorified through that too and Lord as we start the vision process Lord I pray that you would be indeed um, speaking to us all that you would be setting aside the guiding team that you want for us and for this moment in time and that, Lord Jesus, you would be guiding each and every one of us in every moment of every day, that we would glorify you and praise your Son, Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this moment in time where we can come and open your word and hear from you. And may that impact our lives. And not just be something, oh yeah, that was nice this morning. I felt encouraged. Oh, it's good I know more now about how that worked in Acts chapter 19 than before. Oh, that's lovely. But Lord, it would actually be a genuine encounter with you that causes transformation in the values that we have. And may we be prepared to burn $8 million for your sake, if required. Amen.